you know, friends, it's hard times, and I uh, try to use the podcast as a way to spread some positivity and love. And uh, I'm not saying I'm good at it, you know. I, I don't lean that way in life. I kind of rant and rave a lot. And uh, so I try to sort of tone that down, and I try to bring to you something that you will value and something that you might find joy in. Even when I tackle something that's going on in the world, I try to do it in... Uh, my gentlest possible way, I think. Uh, but today, I need to talk to you about something that's very serious. That's right, the great painting, Dogs Playing Poker. Sorry if that comes across as glib when we really are in hard times. Um, but anyway, I, I am interested in the painting. Um, you know, Cassius Coolidge painted a series of paintings. Uh early in the 20th century, late in the 19th and early in the 20th century, called Dogs Playing Poker. There were 16 paintings. They weren't all about dogs playing poker, by the way. There were dogs doing some other things. Uh, he was an advertising person. He was in advertising. He created these um, originally as commercial art, which is a really interesting area of art to me. So at least ostensibly, he... Uh, did these to advertise cigars for a company called Brown and Bigelow. They, you know, they appealed to like the sporting lifestyle, as they called it at the time. Uh, but, you know, these paintings have been around. I mean, like, you know, I don't know if there's anyone who doesn't know the idea, at least, or derivatives of these paintings, at least. And most people have actually seen the paintings the most famous of them, I guess, uh, are the paintings Poker Game in uh, from 1894. It's one of the first. It's kind of like St. Bernard-looking dogs sitting around playing poker. And the other one, A Friend in Need, where there are a bunch of dogs, uh, different stripes of dogs and two small dogs in the front. Um, there's one passing a card to the other one under the table, sort of. In 2006, in the old before-the-bust money, two of the paintings, A Bold Bluff, the the first and, and, and in some ways most significant one. Actually, it's not the first, but it's one of the first. First famous one. Um, and another painting um, went to the auction block at Doyle's, and they were expected to come in at, you know, a Thirty for thirty to $50,000, I guess. And they sold for almost $600,000 as a pair. And uh, there had been a previous uh, iteration sold for $74,000. Uh, and and that's kind of interesting. I mean, but that's still kind of, a, I, I think, still in the neighborhood of fun money for some rich people I have never met. But in 2015... <laughs> The 1894 painting poker game. That's still I don't know. I don't know if it's the most uh, recognizable. I think that a bold bluff is, and it's probably worth this kind of money now. But anyway, <laughs> in 2015, poker game sold for six hundred and fifty-eight thousand dollars. I don't know if that's fun money. Most people buy art with the expectation that it'll, it will increase in value. And I have to assume that that painting will increase in value. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, dollars are how we 
gauge or how I gauge uh, aesthetic merit, but they do seem to account for something uh, in the art world and, and the way the art world, fu world functions. The 1903 painting, A Friend in Need, which, which seems to be representative of the paintings, it's the one that's most reproduced, I think, uh, is often compared to some other famous card playing paintings. Um, Caravaggio's The Card Sharps comes to mind, and uh, there's an article online comparing the two. It's a, it's a standard sort of comparison for this thing. In the Cash Coolidge painting, the dogs are in the center of the frame, and uh, the one, like, bulldog, I guess... French bulldog, maybe, smoking a cigar. Uh, he's just folded, it looks like. And then he seems to have slipped out the ace of clubs that he's passing under the table to the stubby leg of a similarly collared and similarly looking dog. They're obviously in it together. All eyes are sort of on him, so it must be his play... It's hard to tell who's in on it and who's the mark here. He seems to be holding the other three aces. And uh, the comparison to the Caravaggio painting is kind of interesting, I guess. In the Caravaggio painting, see two young men playing poker. There's also what looks like a backgammon game, maybe. I'm not really sure about this. Um, and we see some other cards on the table the young man uh, on the left of the painting, looks like a, a little boy, has played, it looks like a heart of some kind. And then the other young man um, who uh, he's playing against him has some hearts. He's drawing a club. It looks like the four or the six maybe of clubs from out of his waistband. And not incidentally, next to it, he has a dagger and then there's a sinister-looking older man spying on his card, and it's uh, obvious that they're going to take the money from this, you know, this mark, either by trickery or by violence, whichever comes first. They'd probably prefer the trickery. <laughs> but I don't know if the comparison is that interesting, to tell you the truth. I, I like the Caravaggio painting, you know? Um, but... I don't know if the comparison gets us anywhere, to tell you the truth. You know, there's a kind of situational irony that their dogs playing poker that I would say trumps the dramatic irony of who's the mark in the card game. The thing that really interests me about the painting, its composition is interesting to me, um, but... In the background, behind the dog that's dead center in the frame, there's a sort of soft focus sailboat painting. It's not something I recognize, and it's not something I've uh, read that anyone has identified. So I don't know for sure what it is. You know, there's a a long-standing tradition of copying paintings within the frame of other paintings uh, for various reasons. The classic example of this is Titian's Europa painting, or The Rape of Europa, which is in the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. It's a fantastic 
painting um, is reproduced and copied within um, Diego Velazquez as the Spinners, which is in the Prado uh, in Madrid, you know. And I won't go way into an interpretation of that, but basically, like, you know, uh, Velazquez is positioning himself as a critic and a, and a commentator on, on Titian's painting from a hundred years earlier. But the comparison is interesting because I think that, that one of the things that Velazquez is doing in The Spinners or the fable of Arachne, as it's often known now, um, is he's demonstrating that he can, if he chooses to, flash the same kind of virtuosity and technique that, um, that Titian is using in The Rape of Europa. I could do this too, see, but I choose to do this other thing is at least part of what's happening with that, uh, you know, with that reference in that painting. So I don't know if these muted, soft-focused boats in the background um, of the Cash Coolidge painting, Dogs Playing Boker, also known as A Friend in Need, 1903, is doing exactly that because I don't recognize the painting, and, and maybe someone can straighten me out on this, but it at least looks like that soft focus kind of impressionism that someone like Claude Monet is developing at the very moment that Coolidge is painting these dogs painting poker. Monet's dates run very concurrent with um, Coolidge's. Monet was born three years before Coolidge and died about a decade before him. Um, but really, you know, at the turn of the century, when Coolidge is making the dogs painting poker, Impressionism as an idea is very new, very a la mode, very taken the world by um, storm, the art world at least. You know, I think if I was really hunting for a source of this uh, sailboat painting, I'd look for, you know, Edward Manet, who, uh, not to be confused with Claude Monet, who died in 1883, you know, 20 years before the painting, uh, the the um, A Friend in Need Dogs painting was made. Um, he painted a lot of these sailboat paintings that I quite like, but again, I, I don't recognize the painting in the background of the Coolidge painting. I recognize the style, but I don't recognize the painting itself, and it may not be an actual painting, um, at any rate, he seems to be engaging what is becoming the upper crust of the art world with that painting in the background, and I find that fascinating. You know, early in Picasso's career, when he would was doing his, you know, multi-perspective strange paintings, he would often display some of the apprentice work that he did under his father, and, um, you know, where he would copy the masters. And it was a sort of, there was a sort of a, a flourish or show of technique um, that was meant to illustrate the contrast between that and what he was doing. So he would present, you know, a copy of a Vermeer alongside of one of his strange, squashed, 
paintings where he showed a face from two perspectives at the same time. And he would highlight for the viewer that what he was doing in the second painting was not some sort of accident. Rather, it was an, an intentional aesthetic decision. You know, instrumentalists will do this, particularly jazz musicians. They'll play some sort of fast, you know, complicated, blistering run over the first chord change, and then they'll slow down and play something simple. And part of it is like a kind of a palate cleanser for the ear. It gets the previous solo that's probably been built up to a certain, uh, you know, certain level of intensity out of the way or the head arrangement or whatever. Um, it it, it kind of clears the air for rebuilding a solo. But it also at times is used as a flash of speed or virtuosity that creates um, a contrast between that and the sort of simple um, melodic approach that will come after it. And um, however it works, that contrast effect um, is an important part of the composition. And I think that the conventional painting in the background of the Coolidge painting is at least an expression of him uh, showing that he's making an intentional aesthetic decision in rendering these dogs smoking cigars and playing poker and drinking liquor um, as, a, as a choice and not just as something that like came to him unselfconsciously or however it is that people want to explain the impulse of art that's made by people who are not quote-unquote trained to make that art. You know, in the competitive world of, of jazz, um, part of that flourish before the solo that I talked about is a kind of get out of my way, um, I'm better than you. And when I think about that Velasquez quotation of the Titian painting that I talked about, that might also uh, be something like that. Velasquez might certainly... Um, be asserting that he's a better painter than Titian or that he rivals him in some way. But I think that the context of that painting, The Spinners, is actually much more much more interesting and useful. The painting is called The Fable of Arachne because in the story of Arachne, Arachne is a weaver. She gets into a weave-off with the goddess Athena and she wins and she's turned into a spider and her weaving skills are reduced to um, weaving the same pattern over and over again. I guess that's the theory that spiders just weave the same thing. She's reduced uh, from an artist to a craftsman. And in the fable of Arachne, Velasquez foregrounds um, the work of art by the spinners are making the yarns and preparing for the tapestry makers that are in the background and the rich people that are paying. They're all in the background. He foregrounds the craftsmanship of that work rather than the um, artistry expressed in the back of the painting. And uh, he uses a tremendous uh, kind of... Uh, side-to-side -side vanishing that gives a tremendous depth of field to the painting. And it's truly a masterful painting at the level of technique. 
and he basically makes an assertion that craftsmanship is the foundation of art. I don't know if Coolidge is doing something similar to that, but I want to suggest that his placement of this painting in the background um, has a critical function as well as an artistic function. I don't think he's merely showing off, and I don't think he's merely contrasting his aesthetic to the aesthetic of that painting. I think he's asking us to think seriously about the nature of art, why we care about it, and why we like it. And I don't know that he would think that he was more interesting than Impressionism. <laughs> and I don't know that people who love dogs playing poker think it's more interesting than Impressionism as a concept. But he wants us to consider why we like something over something else. He wants us to consider the nature of art. Why is this art and why is this not? Why are these crazy paintings, squiggly lines, where somebody pours painting all over the canvas? As I mentioned before, abstract expressionism is the most um, valuable form of American art in terms of, of monetary value. Why do we like one thing over another thing? Why... Are we engaging in art? What does art do for us? And I would say that a conceptual painting like Dogs Playing Poker asks that question in a very direct and meaningful way. It's easy to say that we like kitschy things like that because, or Americana, because um, we're smarter than it and it gives us a smug sense of self-satisfaction knowing that we understand that it's not great and that there's something ironic about our reception of that. Um, and that and that may be true. There may be people who approach it that way. I don't. I, I think of it in quite different terms, actually. I think of it in terms of the things we agree through a critical process of analysis are, and through sales and whatnot are quote-unquote great are great by committee. And they may be great at an individual level too, but we sort of make a collective decision that it's safe to love them. And when we see something like dogs playing, playing poker and we respond to it in our authentic emotional way, whatever that is, I think that that's a real mirror for us and it really reveals something about who we are and our process of understanding why we like something that probably defies analysis more than it benefits from analysis um, can really reposition us towards the rest of what we say we like as art and what we consider art to begin with. And I think that Coolidge, like, like other people early in the 20th century, are interested in challenging, exploding, and redefining those definitions. Um, and ultimately, that expresses a move to democratize art and to open up the um, experience of art to more people. And I think that um, you know, asserting that you love dogs playing poker more than you love a Vermeer uh, might seem like a kind of reverse snobbery that's fun to play with snobs at parties as a trick. But I think really at the end of the day, it's, 
just showing that we have the power as viewers to decide what's art and what moves us and what we care about. And I think that dogs playing poker presents a challenge to us to define those categories for ourselves on our own terms. So I think it's great. I don't know if you need to go spend $600,000 on one of these Coolidge paintings, but I think that, uh, you know, they're worth looking at in a different way or they're worth just looking at. Friends, thank you for listening. Um, you know, we're going through a rough patch right here. Hopefully things will get better soon. I'm thinking of you, and, uh, you know, I hope that you take care of yourselves, and I hope you find some peace and some escape from all of what we're going through right now. Be well. I'll talk to you next week.